This is a CW Spiral, a podcast run by two Barchies and a Bughead. We're your hosts, Sabrina Reed, Michael Patterson, and Reed Gowden, bringing you history about the network, the latest news, and in-depth spoiler-filled discussions of some of our favorite shows on the CW. Okay, so as y'all can see, we do not have Reed this week, but we will have him next week, which I don't know if I should make a joke about him off doing mourning for Walker Independence or not, but I'm going to because we're mourning. Um, um, I know. So, okay, for happy news for the Walker fandom, Walker, the flagship show, did get renewed for season four. It does have a shorter episode count, though. It's going to be 13 episodes, um, which I know there's been speculation online about moving forward, if that's going to be the count for scripted originals on the CW moving forward. We don't know. I guess we'll see uh, once we find out more, because we don't have an uh, episode count for All-American season six, do we? I don't believe so. It does feel like 13 is now, we saw it with the new, new series as this season. It feels like 13 is now their average episode count. And I get it. I do get it, especially if they're going to be earning maybe some of the US originals in the fall and then different US originals in the spring. 13 episodes is easier to fit into a schedule than 18 or 22. So it does make sense. So I hope the Walker fans don't automatically assume this means it's the end of the road for the show because I think this is just the way we're going, going forward. It doesn't mean that we've seen the end of Walker. It just means that we're going to see a shorter season. So yay, Walker fans, well done. I mean, I'm glad we finally have a new renewal. It's taken us so long to get to this point and I fear that they're going to, all the news is going to start rolling in at once because the renewal of Walker was not the only news we got this week well this was paired together though right like it's not mm-hmm. like we got the Walker renewal news and then a few days later they told us Wendy wasn't coming back at least on the CW but it just it's disheartening because I felt like Walker Independence did what was asked of them as far as like on the night viewing and live plus seven ratings they're the fourth most watched show on the network i think um obviously walker was ahead of them it might have been superman and lois next um even though they haven't finished their their season yet and um oh what is that show it's either whose line is it anyway that was in the lead or it is that penn and teller magic show it's probably penn and teller mm. that's the um that's up there too but i'm just disappointed me too. And like we talked about the ratings a lot last year. Um, it's probably been the most consistent show, at least of the fall season anyway. Um, it's ratings steadied out pretty quickly and there were no like huge drop-offs or huge rises. It it had a solid enough audience of nearly 500,000 viewers a week and it maintained that throughout its run. Whereas some of the other shows, even the almighty All-American, it's kind of up and down every single week. So you can't fault Wendy for finding fan base it just it bothers me that like you said it did exactly what it was supposed to do and here we are again mourning yet another tv show and the introduction of one of our podcasts it, it, it even though it's been such a long time since nancy and stargirl they did what was asked of them as well and yet here we are again it's just the same old story and um, we don't know the criteria is so unclear right now we don't know what is expected of these shows and right now it feels like Wendy was just they had an obligation to err it and that's what they did and an obligation to produce it obviously but like is the Winchesters and Gotham Knights going to go the same way it's a question because if we're not if the viewership doesn't matter then I want to know what matters mm-hmm. like if it's unless they're just like look we want tent poles and to be fair Walker Independence was not a tent pole um, their temples are Walker and Superman and Lois, and then every other temple is going off air. <laughs> like, so I, I just don't, 
I, I want to know what this ground is for how to move forward on the CW. I do know that with All-American and Walker now claiming to the spots, we should have about two more um, left for who is going to be next to be renewed. It's unclear who is that who that's going to be. Uh, the press is speculating All-American Homecoming, so the All-American um, and its spinoff can be paired together on Monday since Mondays are said to be successful. I thought Thursdays were successful. So for Walker, for the Walker franchise, so I'm not sure what the logic is here when it comes to where the way that they want to continue franchises, unless they only want one, and um, they would take All American for it being the oldest one. And All American, the flagship, is actually hugely successful for the CW. All American Homecoming hasn't been able to reach the heights of its parent show, uh, but they might want to give it more of a chance. I know, and that kind of lines up with what happened last year. After we got the initial batch of renewals out of the way, Homecoming was the only show that got renewed after that. That was it. Um, all the rest of them were cancelled. So somebody was willing to take a chance on it. It just was, was that the old CW? Is that the new CW? And now that we're here at this point in time where we know that All-American was a holdover from last season, they had to renew that one at least one more time. Will Homecoming go the same way? Was it part of that deal? If it was, why haven't we heard about it yet? I can see them wanting to keep All-American Mondays a thing, but considering what 70% of that success is down to the OG All-American, can Homecoming sustain it for another year? But then if it's more cheaper to produce, maybe it's worth it. We obviously, the other choice as far as ones that are mo most likely to get renewed is Superman at Lois, but with everything going on at Warner Brothers, we don't know who wants to pay the money for that show. Was James Gunn's comments just that, yeah, we're not going to intervene if they want to keep it going. We'll keep, let it keep going. Or was it a no, we want it to keep going? It's just, there's so much uncertainty right now. Um, and it feels like the show that should be the front runner has that extra dose of uncertainty because of Warner Brothers right, right now. And whether the CW wants to produce shows that are over $1 million when reports said that Superman at Lois cost $5 million per episode. So there's so much up in the air right now. And it feels even silly to analyze it to this depth because I feel like this time next week, we may have those answers that we already may know. Um. They literally made us wait to the last minute here. The renewal and cancellation period is almost over. And here we are holding out until what, the 18th of May, when the last possible time was probably when we'll get the news. But at least it'll let us breathe a little bit easier, knowing what the future of this network looks like, at least for another year. Can't believe I'm saying that sentence when we all said it again this time last year. It's unfair that we have to prepare for like a mini calling, because mm -hmm. that's basically what's going to happen. Everyone just wants to know, who am I going to be mourning? And who am I going to be excited coming back? And what we keep getting instead is summer acquisitions. We're not going to go into the summer shows because we're going to wait for Reed to explain those, but there's a lot of them coming. Uh, mm -hmm. And they are really filling out their lineup. It looks good. Uh, it's going to be, this is like what the first trial run for what a, a, an acquisition heavy lineup would look like on the CW. And it could go Definitely. well. We'll see. Definitely. And I know a lot of the shows are maybe not up in our like kind of cup of tea compared to what our traditional CW shows are. But I do remember the podcast that episode that you and Reed did last year about the lack of fun in the summer sun on the CW. I feel like we're going to have a bit more fun this time around. And th that's at least something promising we can take. The lineup looks fun. And I know we'll get into it next week, but I did just want to make that point. It was arguably the most exciting thing about from the Walker renewal we've heard about this network in a while. So at least it looks like a TV network again. So we're on the right track. I know. Thank goodness. I mean, maybe summer will get us through and then 
we'll worry about fall when it comes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk about that now. Fall doesn't exist to us. <laughs> no, but um, moving into what we're watching for Superman and Lois, I think this might be one of my favorite episodes of this season. I think it has to do with the way that the storylines are balanced. Everyone got to eat in a way that worked really well. I wasn't even mad at the teens. I was very excited for what the teens were up to. This is one of the most beautiful marriages of, as far as all the storylines goes. Every, like you said, everything came together on the night. It would definitely, I agree. It was one of my favorite ones as well. They slowly raised the sticks throughout the episode and then pulled the trigger in those last couple of moments. And it was just what a watch it was. And I mean, like we'll get into all of it, but like this wasn't really a Lois episode, but in many ways it was a Lois episode in that Bitsy Tollock was not in it that much, but when she was on screen, you felt everything Lois was going through and you understood where she was coming from. But at the same time, this was very much about a Lois, re a Lois reaction resulted in everybody else's reaction. So like she understandably didn't want to publish the story about Pia because she's such close friends with her now through through their cancer journey together. But then that made Clark and Chrissy go and investigate. But then Lois find her way back to being Lois Lane by the end of the episode after a wonderful conversation with her dad, Sam. So, and then Sam had his own stuff going on as well. So I feel like that's what I mean when I say all the storylines came together. You saw the same thing with Jonathan and Kyle, which leads into Jordan and Sarah. So much happening in this episode. And I don't even know where to start because I loved all of the storylines. Let's start at the top, because one thing that Superman and Lois is going to do this season is hurt you in the first few minutes of the episode. Uh, was it not soundless? Did it just have an instrumental over top of it as we were watching uh, Lois deal with the repercussions of her chemotherapy? It did. It did. I'm pretty sure it's this. They've used that uh, score. That's such a sentimental score. A beautiful piece of music quite a few times now. And we've seen Lois going through some of her, her battle against cancer. Um, we saw it when she first arrived at Hobbs Bend, got the chemo there. And then in this beautiful montage, it was heartbreaking. What And like, like you said, like, how do they make us feel all of that without a single line of dialogue? I don't know. It's the what got me besides Bitsy's acting uh, was seeing Lois's office be taken down so they could move the bed in there because she needs to sleep on her own now. Like, because she's just in so much pain. And I'm just like, oh my goodness. I like this is just uh, the boys packing up her awards and her notes and everything was so organized. And then having to create a different bed. I was like, I'm not. I don't like this. I, they're really leaning hard into the realism, which is a good thing, but it also means that, you know, we're, they're breaking our hearts too. Very much so. And I think that's the beauty of this show. It, of course, the Bruno Mannheim storyline is at the center of it, but it never, it never forgets to stop and take a moment to show you things like that. So whether it's in a full episode of what Lois is going through, which we did see earlier in the season, or just a five minute montage to catch us up on the time we've missed and shown how, of course, we knew how severe this journey would be, but we get to see the great Lois Lane struggle with all of this and her family struggle with all of this. Very, very poignant. And like you said, the came to hurt us but it was a very very effective watch and it set this a scene for her kind of losing herself this episode uh, and she would I mean she's stressed out and she's not she's not allowed to be as stressed as she needs to be but she is uh, stressed and then you have you know no she doesn't really want to talk about this story or her friend who could be dying like uh and she doesn't I thought the piece 
um with the society it looked like a society piece so I kind of got her point <laughs> when when like Chrissy was like but it's a good piece of writing I was like Chrissy it's giving a little bit of society pages just a, <laughs> just a tad uh, so I get what Lois is talking about but it is something that you know if she wasn't sick as uh, she would be like chomping at the bit to be like yes ex- expose his wife because if we do this then things have to start coming out of the woodwork we're going to start hearing noise from that part of town so that aspect of the story I got, but Lois being like, no, leave me, ha- give me my tea and leave my sight. <laughs> <laughs> it was very well done because like, yeah, you're, it might have looked a wee bit gossipy with that beautiful photo of Pia on what, some red carpet. It might have looked a little bit gossipy, but at the end of the day, Lois Lane wants to get to the truth. And if uh, unveiling that truth would ultimately help them crack down on the facade that Bruno Mannheim was created, Lois Lane would absolutely do it. And she would never publish something that she wasn't sure about. But this was what this episode was all about. Lois was no longer sure. And she did feel like she was losing herself. Because when she had that conversation with Chrissy at the start, I was like, okay, I see where you're coming from totally. But then when she had that moment of realization that Lois Lane wouldn't do this, I'm not acting like Lois Lane. I don't feel like myself. I was like, okay, I see where you're coming from as well. So it was a very, very nuanced portrayal of that because Lois is going through so much. And of course, no TV show has the full scope to show us all of it. But even in that short montage, and then of course, her sitting by the fire and her feeling cold all the time, but also her feeling sweaty from time to time as well. She's just not herself. And in the short amount of time that she was on screen in this episode, you really got to see that. And again, Superman at Lois just, it, it knows how to get pull on the heartstrings and tell authentic stories in a very short amount of time. And I did understand her pivot back in the end and it was the right decision maybe to publish an article that would get to the truth because as we saw by the end of that episode, the truth needs to be out there. Well, I think what's interesting about like Lois in this episode paired with Clark and Chrissy as reporters is that, so the thing that sparks Lois is the presentation of hard evidence. Mm-hmm. It's not like it's, she's not just being presented this glossy page, um, she's being presented with with facts and things that she can research and that's what ignites her fire again and you can also kind of see the difference between her and Chrissy as reporters and difference between Clark and Chrissy as reporters because it seems that Clark and Lois are a bit more subtle than Chrissy and like that I loved seeing Clark the reporter again but I also love seeing Clark the reporter who was looking up at Chrissy like have you never done this before what are we doing (laughs) and because because she was like laying it on thick with Pia's friend I was like, girl, pull it back. This is not how you get secrets. <laughs> right, right. No, I totally agree. And it, it's interesting because I feel like Lois, no one's going to be better than the great Lois Lan. And then Chrissy are at two different ends of the spectrum. They're two different types of reporters. Clark kind of walks that line between them and is a healthy balance of both. But even he was caught off guard by Chrissy's direct nature because you have to be careful who you're direct with. Clark had no problem being direct with Bruno Mannheim last week, even with Bless's awkward little pretend tendencies that Clark Kent would do. He had no problem getting to the truth, whereas Chrissy maybe didn't know her audience that well. And I know everyone's under pressure to get to the truth. And Chrissy was trying to prove that her story was worth it and that Lois needed to publish that. So I do understand that tensions were high and all of that. But yeah, it's nice to see like the, the veteran Superman, the veteran Clark Kent was like, excuse me, why are we doing this? And it was it was very, very effective. And 
I did say last week that I miss seeing Chrissy and Lois's relationship. I miss seeing Chrissy and Lois work together. And I thought this was a great way to bring that back because even though they didn't spend that much time together, by the end of the episode, you had Clark and Chrissy and Lois as this unit and they'd stumbled upon some serious truth that had been sitting in front of them before. So even though, like I said, Lois and Chrissy are on different ends of the recorder spectrum and Clark's right there in the middle, they couldn't have reached that point without all three of them getting there and doing that investigation. So it was just wonderful to see when we find out that Chrissy found out about Clark's secret and that the three of them were going to be working out of the Smallville Gazette, we wanted to see more of them work, work together as reporters. And I think that's what we got in this episode because they did get to the truth in the end. I want a truth it was. And they still got to have a little bit of fun too because mm-hmm. um, Chrissy's excitement over getting to fly was absolutely adorable. Love that. Love that. Because we I remember when Lois told her last season, we were all like, Chrissy's gonna Chrissy Chrissy's gonna be such a super fan. It was it the right decision to tell him tell her. And then we Sarah found out about Clark's secret at the end of last season. And nobody really talked about that. We've just obviously moved into this storyline very quickly. It's nice to sit in a bit of that aftermath and see Chrissy get to like fan out about the fact that she gets <laughs> to work with a superhero. Love that. Like I said, the show makes time for its human storylines, and that's such a human reaction to have. It is. It was delightful for like, especially coming off of a lot of the heaviness earlier mm-hmm. on in the episode to have that. She's like, are we going to fly? And he just does it. <laughs> he just goes and does it. Clark's the best. I really, I know we talk about it all the time, but I really, really, really appreciate Tyler Hecklin's version mm-hmm. of Clark Kent and Superman. There is just such a lightness to him. He's like, he can do both. He can do awkward um, all shucks and um, delightfulness, but and he can also be super serious. I love that he's able to handle both sides of Clark's personality because there's just something about him as Superman that I'm just like, no one else, who else is doing it like this? in this day and age uh as superman i don't know one without a doubt i agree totally i feel like we saw a more comic accurate uh nerdy kind of portrayal in supergirl he had that down to a tie and then this is the more modern kind of like layered version of clark kent that some of the movies have tried to give us but then ended up moving too far into the broody direction he gets the balance between comic accurate and modern realism down to a tay like like even last week when he was investigating bruno and like but like he had, I made time to add all the little like awkward body movements in tyler's performance as clark is so effortless and perhaps even more impressive than his performance as superman which is 100 perfect but you can just see every little character trait every little nuance every little golly jay and every little like weight of the world on his shoulders kind of emotion all encapsulated into one single performance. It's just as wonderful to see. And I love the thing that I love about Superman at most the most is you get to see him interact with various different characters. So you see various different sides to that persona as well. And it's not really a persona anymore. He is Clark Kent. He lives Clark Kent. And it's just, it's great to say Superman at most thrives when it just focuses on the people. And that's who Clark is as a person. It's just wonderful. It is. Okay, I have one qualm, not about Kyle Hecklin's performance, but there's a there's a line um, when is it is Lana telling him or is she telling Chrissy to or um, tell Lois, you know, I'm thinking of her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. I think it was him. Okay, because I'm like, there's, if there's one thing about this season that I want more of. It's more people outside of Lois's family coming to see Lois. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm like, Lana, you go tell Lois that you're thinking <laughs> of her. <laughs> 
100%. It's the same thing as what I said about, we didn't see Chrissy and Lois together for so long. We finally found our way back there. But like Lois has become such a part of this community, which was a big part of season one. She was like from the big city trying to fit in in Smallville. And some of the times people like Kyle didn't understand her approach and didn't think it worked. Whereas now Lois is like almost as much the heart of Smallville as Clark is. So it makes sense that you'd get to see more people come and say We've seen it. We've seen quite a bit with John Henry. He pops back every now and again. But I would like to see more of Lana specifically because in the in the premiere we got to see more of that beautiful Lois at Lana friendship, and we haven't seen much of that lately. I would love to see much more of that. Lana's kind of been reacting to a lot of people this season without kind of having her own story. We finally saw the beginnings of it in this episode, and we'll definitely get into that. But I feel like. Lois would be a great person to talk to about that and of course Lois could then open up to Lana about things she maybe doesn't feel that she can talk to her family about that is such an incredible female friendship and I I will say one of my biggest gripes with the season so far is that we haven't seen it expressed a little bit more because it was so rich in the premiere and I just like to see them share some more scenes together you know I wonder if we'll circle back though um when it has to they kind of drop the plot about what happened to the previous mayor so mm. I wonder if we're going to circle back in the latter part of the season and that's how Lois and Lana will start having interactions because Lana's very busy as mayor. We don't really know what she's being busy over other than, of course, she would be in this political office. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, they dropped that storyline and presumably it's going to tie to Bruno's perhaps or something to do with Lex. I'm not sure, but currently Lana is riding the wave of being busy and giving advice to people. Uh, the scene with I'm gonna jump to her scene with Sam which just to say for those who were like uh Superman and Lois is can be sometimes like a soap opera which it can't be because let me tell you if it, if it was a soap opera Sam and Lana would have had a thing in that mm-hmm. diner and I was so scared because I watched a lot of soap operas I was like mm, are we going there we don't need to we can just let it be a nice little talk which they did let it be a nice little talk so I'm happy about that one Mm-hmm. That was a lovely scene. I know I had to rewatch it because the first time you watch it, you're like, this isn't happening, is it? This isn't happening. Is it? And then when you take that out, you know, it's not happening. You're like, oh, that was a wonderful scene. And I guess the thing that showed us so well, we saw two, two or three weeks ago with um, the Jonathan and Sarah friendship. A lot of people online were wondering, wait, are these two going to get together? And they're not. It's just wonderful to see two people who don't interact that much get to spend time with each other. And when, well, Sam doesn't really live in Smallville. He's just there all the time. But when you when two people are in, or when so many people are in the same little bubble, two of them are eventually going to cross paths that haven't really interacted that much before. And that Sam and Lana scene was just, you just sense such humanity from that scene. Two people going through similar situations, just finding each other and having a good talk. If they don't interact for the rest of the season, I'm okay with that. If they form one of the best friendships of the show, I'm also okay with that. Because I know a lot of people online were like, we thought Lana was going to end up with John Henry Irons and it turns out she could end up with Sam Lane instead. <laughs> and I was like, a soap might have done that, but Superman at Lois won't do that. Um, I did, Yeah, I just thought that was lovely. Like, uh, this show takes the time to play with its characters. It thinks, oh, what would that person think if they cross paths with that person? And every time it does that, the results are golden. And this was just an example of that. Yeah, and Sam got to, I feel like what's great about Sam and Superman and Lois is that he is allowed, like you said, to have a lot of humanity. He's not just someone who's not blustering, but like he's very determined um, and has a very specific opinion about how things should be done, but they don't let that be the end all and be all of him. I've really been enjoying this plot of him trying to discover himself outside of work. 
because he, he did not try to find love again after uh, losing his wife walking out on him. So now we're, what did he say, 30 years down the road? Mm-hmm. And he feels a little awkward about it, but he's being honest about feeling awkward about it. And I like that scene with him and Lana because he's like, look, we know you're busy. A lot of people are busy. Don't let that get in the way of your ability to have a life. Because she was sad about not having anyone to go to the concert with her. And he was like, find someone to go. Yeah, and it was such a great, like, I said it already. It feels like they're going through the same kind of thing, even though the situations are quite different. And so it was. It made total sense that those two characters would find something in each other, some kind of like uh, knowledge that they weren't thinking about because they kind of needed that. And you're right when you say Sam's been kind of trying to find himself outside of work. And I think that's a great story because I kind of worried what they were going to do with the character after season two, because in season one, he said he was retiring. And then in season two, Lieutenant Anderson took over and we all know how that ended. So they haven't really addressed the fact that this man just went back to work. No, nobody cares about the fact this man who retired is suddenly back running the, the DOD. Um, whereas we're not seeing that much of the DOD set now because we're getting to see Sam outside it. And that's great to see too. I don't know whether they'll ever address the fact that he just randomly went back to work and all, all his big plans <laughs> to move on with life and start fishing. They've just been dropped. But I mean, like, if it can lead to something more meaningful, I think that's a great idea. It's because Sam's featured like in maybe one scene over the last two or three episodes. But the last time we actually seen him in a meaty role, it was when Jordan uh, created him a profile on Senior Swipe. So it was nice to see that follow through on. A lot of TV shows would have just done that and then never went back to it for the sake of the episode. This is following through on its storylines and I like to see that. And I think Sam's someone who could do with a story outside of the super stuff and he hasn't been as involved in the lowest story as I would have liked hopefully that'll change going forward but if we get to see another side of Sam Lane like we have seen with his uh, lovely relationship with Natalie now which is great but we're exploring Sam in different ways this season and that's wonderful to say I hope we get to see his date with the feathered yeah. hair like what did they say did they say Farrah Fawcett did they name drop Farrah Fawcett I'm pretty sure someone did yes I was like oh I see the vision when they said that Yes, I hope we get to meet her at least once. Like, I want to see him out on a date, or if we even if we don't get to see the date, one of um, him and her leaving the date, and then the family getting to, like, razz him a bit about it. Like, that'd be so cute. Oh, that would be. And that's the family stuff that this show does best. You, I, a lot of shows don't have time for things like that. So whether we see the date or not, I think we should see some kind of fallout from it. It's so important just to him, but it's also just so important to the family dynamic. Like Lois was so happy for him when she found out that he was trying to make it work. He, and bless him, he's taken on the like deadliest threats in the universe. And he was so super nervous at just a death. And I just thought that is such a human reaction to have. This show doesn't, this show doesn't like overcomplicate things. It, it, it doesn't get too ambitious for its own good. It remembers that, whether Clark's taken on Doomsday or Azad, he still has time for his family moments. And they're the things that really make him like terrified. And you could say the same about Sam Lane. He's had Smallville stop Ali Alston at Morgan Edge. And now they're fighting against whatever this is going on with Bruno Mannheim. And he's still super, super nervous over just a date on a time off because he knows how to fight the end of the world. He doesn't know how to do that. And again, I keep saying human. That's such a human thing to do. It's so sweet. I, they just, Superman always lives in the sweet spot of sweetness. Like yeah. they just have an, a great ability to be able to like warm your heart. I was also warmed by, surprisingly, Jordan and Sarah this mm-hmm. episode. I They finally got a chance to hang out just themselves. And there was nothing angsty or heartbreaking 
about it. Uh, we just got to listen to The Cure, which by the way, uh, writers, are you trying to tell me Sarah doesn't listen to The Cure? Uh, why was she surprised? that uh, I get being surprised about um, her mom listening because uh, she has a very interesting picture of who her mom is. It just does not align up with who Lana actually is. But the idea that Miss Rebel Girl has never heard of The Cure is just throws me it took me all the way out of the scene i had to open the door and walk back in <laughs> this is like alanis morissette all over again you're you're telling me that sarah i feel like sarah would she has such a knowledge of music she has such a knowledge of like she, she just feels like those teen characters from the 2000s reed said it really well once that she just she's such a great character when the show wants to explore that it doesn't enough but I feel like she would have an idea of who Alanis Morissette and The Cure was. And even if she didn't listen to their music religiously, I don't think she would need to be told who they were, if you get the point. I feel like, and I also feel like the Lan Christine household would still have had a CD player hanging around at one point. Like, no need to make us feel like fossils now. Like, houses still have, <laughs> have CD players. Like, um, but yeah, like what I described a few minutes ago about uh, Lana and Sam finding each other because they were the people who had that kind of missing puzzle piece, that knowledge that the other one needed to hear. I never thought that I would say that Jordan and Sarah were that for each other, but that's exactly what they became in this episode. Um, I've missed seeing them share screen time together and, and watching this scene made me realize how much I actually did kind of ship them in season one. This isn't about shipping. If they don't get back together, that's fine. I love their bestie chemistry, but I did ship them together in season one because they handle the storyline very, very well. Some of what's happened after that has not been up to scratch because they just keep going back and forth between are you in secrets, lies, can't trust this, whatever. You forgot how much chemistry the actors have when they're just sitting there having a lovely conversation in the Lang household, which I don't think gets used enough. I love their living room set so much. Um, and it always like paves the way for some great conversations. And just I wish Sarah and uh, Jordan would listen to each other or, or listen to themselves even more, because by goodness, do they give great advice? They just don't follow it enough. I wasn't prepared for that advice giving like Sarah right. giving advice to Jordan as a girl. Take your own. Uh, <laughs> but, but like usually it stops there right she gives good advice and then we move on but Jordan turned around and he's like actually let me give you a little nugget for you <laughs> too your mom wanted you to go to the concert to have a bonding experience and you missed that entire point but that was what she was asking she's like are you guilty me and he's like yeah bye <laughs> <laughs> And it was so effective. Part of me wanted to see the scene where Sarah told Lana she'd be there for her and go with her. Um, but then seeing the little montage of the two of them dancing to the cure in the living room, I was like, oh, okay, this did, this did what it needed to do. The storyline wasn't about whether Sarah was going to the concert or not or whether she knew about who the cure was or not. It was about the fact of whether she was willing to be there for her mom and bond with her mom in a way that her mom needed. Because I think one of the three of us said last week, I can't remember who it was, said that Sarah is at the stage where she's starting to learn that her mom isn't just her mom she's a person who had feelings similar to her back in the day and probably still has feelings similar to that now she's seeing that there's more layers to lana than she knew outside of parent and i think this was another a more simple and subtle one but another layer of exploration of that because they didn't spend an awful lot of time together but the more time Sarah spent away from her, the more she learned about her. Yeah, maybe she needed Jordan to help her see that. But she did She did learn quite a bit about her. Just like last week, she learned about the fireworks and she wanted to make sure that she didn't feel left out when she, when she saw her with Chrissy in town. Um, I don't know where we're going with the Sarah and Lana friend or relationship because 
it's been quite up and down in only a short space of eight episodes. But I do think if you can sum up their journey this season, it's about Sarah learning that there's more to Lana than just being her mom. And I think this episode was another good example of that. And it's so fascinating to watch because that was me. I really enjoy um, family dramas and teen shows Mm -hmm. when the teen, their eyes start opening to like the different parts of their parents. And for, I feel like for Sarah, that is so necessary right now because she's written her mom off. Like, which is, I'm not sure if we were in that place in previous seasons, but we are now. And so for her to like be realizing this picture of my mom isn't who she is, is great because she needs it. I think it'll also help Sarah see her own self, if that makes sense. Uh, I like what they're doing with the writing because Sarah has to pause. She has like a rude reaction. And then she's like, "Mm, I probably shouldn't have said that like that, but she'll never go back. Her friend always has to tell her first, but then she will fix it, which I really appreciate that about the storytelling. It's, but one of the things I wish they didn't do was the slap because I feel like you could have this story without Lana having slapped Sarah. It's, it was unnecessary. It was for, it, right now it feels like it was for shock value since we didn't explore Lana's mom. Mm-hmm. But hopefully we will later and they'll circle back to where that came from. Yeah, I hope so because they brought Lana's mom up twice, like back to back in two episodes. And it was like, is this moment coming into it? But if this is a season of learning and Lana's learning more and Sarah's learning more, that would be wonderful because... I do want, I will say, I do want more for both of them. The last two episodes have been great in that department that it's given me a test of what I've been missing from them too. In that uh, I love, I used to love the Christine family scenes because I feel like they added so much more depth to it, especially in a particularly super serious episode. And we don't get to see them that much, obviously, because the three of them aren't together anymore. But like Sarah and Lana have some wonderful scenes and we don't see enough of them and I know where you're coming from I'm not sure what the slap accomplished yet I hope by the time you reach the end of the season we can look back and say yes okay I see where that went because I've said I've said this many many times it just does feel like Lana's reacting to an awful lot of what's happening around her and we're only getting little snippets of her actually getting a moment in a Lana story not Lana reacting to some someone else's storyline we're finally going into places with Lana's story and I wonder if that like you said that'll play into Onomatopoeia and the mayor and Bruno Mannheim because he did say Smallville was on his radar to Natalie so I wonder if if Smallville is on Bruno Mannheim's radar you you can damn sure bet that Lana's going to come into his crosshairs at some point with her being the mayor of the town but I just I we're starting to see the beginnings of the more I wanted for her this season. And I hope it keeps moving in that direction. I know meaty plots for Lana, please. Mm-hmm, definitely. Like we really need more at this point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but speaking of things that, you know, I've been enjoying uh, for me, I also liked the Jordan Jonathan blow up. I thought mm-hmm. this was a better handling of the tension between the two of them than Jordan just being, snarky about his brother being a junior firefighter Uh, did he say something rude in his fight with john yes he did but john came in with such fire that i just did not expect jordan not to let one sleep like he just threw one over the side because it just was a natural (laughs) reaction um i mean I, i think it does speak to how jordan sees jonathan's volunteering but also that had to have come from some place which means jonathan you're complaining in the room too much about what you mm-hmm. don't get to do um so I, I did enjoy it though because it allows you to see how important this is for john and that little uh space for him 
where he's like, I want to be a hero too. Everybody's a freaking hero in this family. And I've got to like earn my stripes in a way that's slower than everybody else. I hate that. Like I, I enjoy, well, he hates that. I'm enjoying this immensely. <laughs> but um, I know, I just think it's a really good plot beat for both of them. I totally agree. The last three episodes have been quite Jonathan heavy and I am here for it. This poor fella has not had much screen time or as much as he should have over the whole two seasons. And he spent an awful long time being lost without the story actually addressing the fact that he's lost. We saw a lot of it at the start after he moved to Smallville, but we haven't done that much since. And this season feels like a season of redemption for him because not only is he still trying to move on from the XK scandal last season, he's trying to see where he fits in the world and he's starting to feel at home in Smallville. And he's still not sure whether he's always going to have to live in his brother's shadow in his head as far as being a hero and doing good things is but this is his outlet for that getting uh, getting to work with Kyle and at the fire station and then getting to even be on the scene as they put out a fire it made him feel like he was doing something and give him a purpose and that's what he's definitely felt what, what he personally I certainly haven't what he personally felt like he was lacking over the last two seasons so I just love to see it Michael Bishop's doing a great job with the material. John has some very nuanced storylines in that they're playing the long game with them. We're not getting one episode and done where he has to go from zero to 100 right away. Although the scene between Jordan and Jonathan went from zero to 100 very, very quickly. But like, I understood both sides of that argument. Jordan was definitely out of line with how far he went with that comment. It escalated very quickly. But of course, we know Jonathan was the one who was responsible for escalating it in the first place, for storming into that house and disrupting that nice moment. But that's it. I'm not picking a side because I love it. This is genuine, authentic family drama. You can understand where the two of them are coming from. And Jordan's still, he's not a, he's definitely a hero, but he's still a long way to go of to being the hero. I don't know, we've used the term Superboy an awful lot. I don't know whether that's going to be his code in him. But now it's interesting that this has resulted in the fact that Kyle's suspicious. Are they going to have to bring Kyle into the bubble? And does that mean Kyle's going to have to lie to his colleagues who also saw the ice? So many layers to such a simple storyline that didn't have that many scenes. What's funny about the ice, though, is like Jordan shouldn't know better. Why are we putting the fire out with ice? Or at least if we're going to do that, why didn't we melt the ice when we were done? Right. <laughs> it just, right. just seems like it's such a rookie mistake, but he is a rookie. I mm-hmm. just um, I just I don't know why. I wonder if they're going to give us a reason for why he just didn't have time to, you know, cover his tracks. I did like that he said he was trying to help and I was trying to figure out whether or not he meant he was also trying to help his brother. And so it's like, I saved someone, but I put them in front of you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like now you can be a hero too. I don't know if that was the impetus for what he was doing or if it just so happened he saw his brother and I'm just going to put this person here. But I also thought that Jonathan, they did a good job of having Jonathan have misplaced anger because his real mm-hmm. anger should be with Kyle for jumping to conclusions rather than his brother saving someone and leaving the body there. Because the, there was no way Jonathan pulled that body out of the the building, but Kyle was like, "We told you to stay put." And I was like, "Kyle, look at the look at the uniform. Do you <laughs> see smoke? <laughs> like, like, is it is it? In, in, is there ash anywhere? No." And like, do you think that kind, sweet boy destroyed that door by walking through it? Come on now, use your head, sir. Um, <laughs> no. I, I feel like, oh, Kyle, Kyle is a, such a good character because he can rile you up really, really easily. And like, you may feel for him at times, but like when he starts getting on his high horse and getting very, very like arrogantly angry, you're like, sit 
down, leave Jonathan alone. And after what he did to him with the little Kent debacle on the t-shirt in the previous episode, I'm like, you should know better by now than to treat this guy bad. Because like at the end of the day, well, yeah, maybe he didn't disobey orders in the end. That's the important thing here. But to you, maybe he shouldn't have disobeyed orders, but was not get was getting your uh, colleague out of the fire, not the most important priority here, making sure he was okay. I get that Kyle worries and he flies off the handle, but yeah, it was effective in what it was doing. But I just have a hard time with Kyle as a character. Um, and I, Jonathan's my new favorite character. I can't help but feel for him at root for him every time. So you come for Jonathan and you come for me. So I took that attack very, very personally. <laughs> It can't be helped. He's so right. sweet-faced and he's so good and he's just trying to do his best and to really find purpose, which I think this firefighting plot is helping him do that. I do wonder if Kyle's going to jump to the wrong conclusion and assume that Jonathan is Superboy. Mm, that could be an interesting one, especially since he was found with the evidence. I do think this is going to be very interesting because Kyle is obviously at the center of a few storylines now. The show was never directly addressed whether he'd be involved in the super stuff. Apart from most of that scene in the town hall where Clark showed up dressed as Superman, even though he lost his powers last season. Kyle has never interacted with Superman. He has, they've kept the Cushing side of things very real, very grounded. So if Kyle gets involved in this, I wonder what, what his reaction would be. Would he not like the fact that Sarah knows? I also just want to say, I would like to see more of Sarah knowing that. She, you know, she find out quickly rushed at the end of last season. Now Jordan's kind of showing her all his powers. I wish would have liked to have seen a bit more of conversation there because I love it when the real world is, that's not possible, merges with the super world. is like, oh yeah, Superman exists. I wanted to see a bit more of that. And I know Superman almost doesn't really have the time to do it because now we know Pia is a metahuman and this isn't set in the same world as the Arrowverse. Where are these metahumans coming? from superman supposed to be one of the only people with powers unless he's an alien so i would like to see a little bit more of that and maybe we'll learn more as it goes on but i am excited to see how kyle deals with the whole like super side of the story i want to see everybody else has reacted okay except for lana and -hmm. that is because it was more so that was her best friend slash ex-boyfriend and she expected to have been told at some point and she just was not uh so there was like decades worth of hurt there but Mm -hmm. as far as kyle he is so, this town can take care of itself. So it'd be interesting if he is like, we don't need Superman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even though he enjoys Clark. So perhaps that won't be the case. I don't know because Tyler gives me whiplash. He's either like the best dude or he's the most irritating dude. Like there's like no in between for him. They pick a side and then they just let him roll in the show. Yeah, He likes to be wrong a lot. I'm sorry, he really does. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I feel like, He's one character, he's kind of been off screen a little bit. It's really interesting to me how they're using their characters this season because like Sam Lane will appear in like one scene and then disappear for two episodes. Same thing happens to Kyle now. Kyle wasn't last week's episode and he had all of two scenes in this episode. He'll obviously be very pivotal going on, but that's kind of like, that. that's like small town kind of realism there. You're not going to see everybody every day of the week, so it makes sense. But I hope he doesn't leave Jordan in limbo for too, or Jonathan in limbo for too long because... He, he, he thought was his purpose. He, he loved doing that job and I hope he gets to do it again soon. Everybody, everybody's a hero in Smallville in their own way. And I think the fact now that Kyle might have to contend with the fact that there are real superpowered superheroes flying around doing helping him do his job off screen, even though he doesn't realize that. I think that's going to make for a very interesting conversation. And I hope the show does explore that in depth. It could be a really, really great meaty scene for the actor, mm-hmm. which I 
don't know where they would have it take place, but in any case, it'd be really good. Speaking of goodness, though, to move to the Bruno Mannheim part with Pia, the cuteness that was that dinner between them, Natalie, and Matteo, which then spiraled into a mobster scene, was like, speak, they have, they're so good at balance. And like, it's just, they remind you, he's a family man. And they were like, but he will also wrap his hand in the napkin to cover his jewels before he beats somebody's face. (laughs) (laughs) It was jarring, wasn't it? It was, it was whiplash. It was everything all at once. What a scene that was. We went from EastEnders to The Godfather in five minutes to just, (laughs) wow, so much happening. Um, But like, get to see Pia and Bruno, Bruno acted so lovably father like it was wonderful and you don't get to see that side of villains and shows like that like it was wonderful and I I do I really to have grown it well not not when she went all black canary but I did very grow attached to Pia in that scene just getting to see her be a mom and getting to see them like embarrass Matteo and Mm -hmm. Natalie just loving the dynamic she fitted in so well with them um and like, yeah, Bruno was the one that caught me off guard when he was telling the stories and putting on the funny voices and everything. And he's like, oh, this man is so cuddly. Like, why is he killing people off <laughs> when we don't see this? Um, and then, yeah, it really did. T- it took an extreme turn because he didn't even care for the fact that Natalie, he had, that he had no intention of harming her on Natalie's head. But he did not care that John Henry was just there to collect his daughter. He did not care that it was accidental confusion that led them to this moment. And he did not care that the kids were there behind him, seeing him behave like a mob, the mobster that he was. He was like, if I see John Henry again, that man is dead, irrespective of the circumstances. So the facade dropped and it got violent and it got uncomfortable very, very, very quickly. And Bruno had no time to think about it. You, it was Pia's reaction was interesting to me because she was trying to hold Bruno back and you don't need to do this. But five minutes later, she was like, yeah, I'm going to scream this man to death. So it was interesting seeing all the different layers. These people are villains through and through, but there is good in them. But when their secrets are in danger, when their livelihoods are in danger, when they're their uh, upstanding citizenship in the world is in danger they will do whatever it takes to keep that intact and if that meant taking john henry irons out of the equation they were willing to do that and it did get dark there it did and it was delicious it was. i <laughs> i love villains that love their spouses and their kids mm-hmm. it's such a dichotomy and it confuses people and i'm like don't be confused. People can be <laughs> lovely to the ones they love and absolute trash to everybody else. <laughs> like that's, a, that's the other side of humanity that we don't sometimes focus on. And this show is like, oh no, we're going to give you wholesome at, at this dinner mm-hmm. table. And then we're going to give you the action you've been waiting for. And I think the, on, the one point that Bruno cares is just to remove the kids from the room. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to stop but they don't have to see it. That's basically what his his mindset is. And you could definitely see the flip the, the of the switch. He was like, oh, I'm no longer a lovable father. I am now the kingpin. And I told you not to come around these parts. So you're going to heed this word. I also, the um, the way that they did the action was wonderful. Like, yes, we saw John be beat down, but then he called the suit. And I was ready to see yet another scene of that suit come onto his body, like Iron Man. Uh, mm. And the, the, they, we did some slow-mo walking, which was great. 
it was amazing that scene took me out because like i was like wait what's going on here the suit couldn't connect because of the power of the canary cry it was holding it back and then she forced him back wasn't that right and then the next time you saw him, he was a slow-mo marching in. <laughs> and it was such, such a moment. At first you were like, oh, hold on a minute. This can't, he, he's going he's gonna to die. The suit can't go on him. But then then it was like, well, your canary cry can't stop him. So they both that was such a moment for both Pia and, and uh, John. Because you got to see the fact that both of them were forces to be reckoned with. Of course, her screen run won out in the end because it was damaging the technology of the suit. But like... You honestly did not know what way that scene was going to go. And then it would cut back to Clark Chrissy at Lois. We're like, we got him. And it was such a quiet, peaceful, almost triumphant moment. You're like screaming at the TV. Somebody hear John. Somebody help John. And then Clark did in the end. But like, like, like I said earlier, they upped the tension beautifully in that, in that whole episode. But it really, it just peaked beautifully at that moment. And then to see Clark come down as Superman and him also not being able to really, all he could do was shield John. He mm -hmm. still couldn't move through her blast. That is a very, very strong screen. The only reason John is alive is because she has cancer and she's sick and she can't control her vocal cords, it looks like. Because at the dinner table, um, when she coughed, the, she shook the building, right? Mm -hmm. and, and then when she was screaming for that long, which it was a prolonged scream. She has lung control for sure. <laughs> uh, that it just, when she lost it and you could see it ha like her throat and the way that you could tell that she was about to just collapse. I was like, this is interesting. I love when we get to see how sickness affects superpowers and mm -hmm. people's ability to continue to push forward. She has a strong capacity though. I'm like, I don't know if y'all want to see her healthy in a fight because it, it seems like you will lose and lose terribly. Mm, definitely I feel like I always said Arrow really didn't really like de delve into the Black Canary's power enough as it should have because the scream was hit and miss they would always do oh look it deafened people at one point but at the other time it just blew them back against the wall and they can get back up no hearing problems whatsoever mm -hmm. but the fact that the scream managed to deafen Clark and you could hear the ringing in his ear afterwards so effective and then like you said seeing Pia's throat almost buckle as she was doing it and Bruno almost had that like he knew what was about to happen but it was too far gone at that stage he couldn't stop it and then the pivot back that he had to ask Superman for help in the end because Superman was the only one that could get her to a hospital on time even I don't know whether Bruno knew that that hospital would be in the DOD and then he probably wouldn't see his wife again but like he was willing to do whatever it took to make sure she was safe in that moment in time Wow, like what, the dynamics, the, the the power struggle, the uh, the the characters there. Like you say, the dichotomy works so well because no way would that man, no way would Mister Get Out of My Office give Superman uh, uh, an advantage here. But he needed him to get out of there so that he could protect his wife, and and that's far more interesting of a villain to me than someone who just utters sassy one-liners. Incredible, incredible, because this felt like almost the midpoint of the show and yet we're three quarters into the season i don't know how we're going to come back from that what looks next the promo for next week looks or the next episode looks even more intense the show has the fan, some fans have been criticizing the pace of the show and then it's been too slow moving it with not enough super stuff happening no this is how you effectively do that because i feel like every super stuff that counts going forward is going to count because they've upped the tension beautifully right up until now i think every episode going forward is going to feel like you've got the sticks of a finale because they made us wait for it and if a show can do that this is how you use a 13 episode season very 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 well because the pacing has just been 
incredible and I can't wait to see where it goes next because I think while we've been way while we've been worried about Lois while we've been worried about the characters and their journeys I feel like next the next couple of episodes are going to be high stakes high intensity finale like feel as we head towards the actual finale and that's the payoff the show's used to giving us and it's the payoff that it deserves because I can't wait to see where it goes and we know this because of the ending of the episode the way mm-hmm. that they found out that clearly Pia used her powers to pretend to be Lex Luthor and make a confession. And that is how his behind landed in jail. Like mm-hmm. the, the the slow discovery of that, the reveal that happens in one episode, I'm like masterful. And it makes sense because they told us about Pia and they told us about Bruno. They made sure that the story was stacked up right before they dropped that bomb. And now we've got to wait until May 23rd to find out what's going to happen next, paired with Bizarro being awake. It's all happening in Smallville, isn't it? Um, I feel like that was such a beautiful introduction of Lex Luthor because we mentioned him once in season one, I think, when uh, we still weren't sure if the show was an Arrowverse show or not. So we were, is this going to be John Cryer's Lex? What are we talking about? But like, we haven't mentioned Lex as a regular presence over all this time. And it's because he's been in prison for close to two decades. And we thought when he got out, the grudge he'd have would be with Superman, but it sounds like we could be having a bit of a mob war going on when he gets out, because uh, I feel like he's going to be coming for Bruno, and that's something that Superman and the cats and all are going to find themselves stuck in the middle of, and dare I say that might even be worse than having one of those villains come for you, because now you're going to have the two of them trying to tear each other apart. Yeah, lots going to happen. I can't wait for Michael Cudlitz to show up as Lex Luthor. Um, going to have a bit of a Walking Dead with you, reunion as he reunites mm-hmm. with Chad L. Coleman from The Walking Dead. Can't wait to see them two go head to head with each other and see who comes out the victor. Is this going to set the stage for a more long-term Lex uh, presence in uh, Superman at Lois going forward? Who knows? But yeah, what a reveal. Pia, Pia is more powerful than she, than she let on and uh, she was single-handedly responsible for Lex spending mo- the vast majority of his life thus far in prison. Who knows where we're going, but like so much heading into the final few episodes of the season. And oh, it feels better than ever. Mike Rowe here with a few thoughts on my favorite sweatshirt, a classic zip up hoodie that used to be navy blue, but has since faded to what the fashionistas call a distressed indigo. It's 13 years old, soft as a flannel bathrobe, and after a few hundred dirty jobs, demonstrably and undeniably indestructible. This is the kind of sweatshirt girlfriends like to permanently borrow, but I've held on to this one because I got it from American Giant. American Giant makes all their stuff right here in the USA so they can control every link in their own supply chain. That matters because when you buy American Giant, you not only get great quality, you create jobs for people in factory towns all over the country. No pressure, but If you give a damn about the business of making things in America, you got to support the companies who are doing it right. Go to American-Giant.com slash Mike to get 20% off your first order. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. It does, and this is how you build things, which I can't say flash take notes because they're ending, but I really wish I could say flash take notes because, oh, this is the, the... third to last episode right because the penultimate is is next wednesday and it was a talking episode this is why reed's not here he knew we were about to pop off about this he's like (laughs) i can't do it anymore (laughs) but um yeah talking's the best way to put it because i feel like our conversation about it will get further than this episode of the flash actually got 
because what happened? <laughs> uh, yeah, what, what a way to end the streak. We had two sensational episodes back to back that even if they weren't perfect, still felt like the flash of old and a very high standard. And now this felt like typical season nine flash, which we've had for about 10 episodes already this season. And it just brought every bit of tension to a standstill. And like, is that what we needed with the third last episode? No, it is strange because Barry is missing. And yet the, the level of energy here was at a low. <laughs> they, they were trying to like build it for us. And I'm like, the only one who seems to be reasonably panicked is Iris. The rest of y'all are acting like it's a regular Tuesday. I just don't understand. And then when Mark walked in, like he was going to be like the hero. I was like, Mark, we didn't, the audience did not miss you. This slow reveal <laughs> walk in, didn't it did nothing for us. Move to the point. For me, I wish we'd actually spent, and this is funny because I never actually cared for Eddie's character, but I actually wish we'd spent time building the Eddie plot because that is much more interesting than all of them running around doing nothing in the flash lab until Barry just appears. Didn't They didn't even help. He just appears. What did I say about the flash from the Red Death that's been my biggest issue this season? The end of the world is happening, so let's just stand around and talk about it. And that's exactly what they did throughout this whole episode. Um, this man had been missing for six hours, yet they only managed to put a plot into place six hours after that. And where was the sense of urgency, people? He could have died in those six hours. And then after that, we're going to stand and talk some more. And Chilblain's going to save the day with his ice gauntlets, which aren't going to bring Barry back. Okay. Um... I liked the Eddie stuff. I agree. That was by far the most interesting part of the episode because there was an actual mystery there. Rather than watching B characters, Iris aside, rather than watching B characters be like, let's go save the A character and then make no effort whatsoever to save the A character. It just felt like, I don't want to rail on it too hard because it was a decent episode of television. But how many decent episodes of television have we had of The Flash that went absolutely nowhere? Easily, this would have easily been forgivable if it was the fourth episode of the season that we moved on from it. It's the third to last episode of the season in a season full of these types of episodes already. So does that make it better? Does that make it worse? Who knows at this point? But I liked I, I liked the Keown stuff because it feels like we're finally moving somewhere with this character. But aside from that, the problem is that they did all of that interesting development in the nine-month time jump. So suddenly now she's this, she's literally mother nature, basically. And we find that out off screen. Why? I'm mean, If a Batman show made, built Poison Ivy, Ivy up over nine months and we didn't see why she was so powerful, I wouldn't like that. Why are we supposed to expect it with Keon and The Flash? I just thought, she's such an interesting character and yet you've spent nine, ten episodes having her off screen meditating, thinking about who she is, pining over Mark, apparently, who she didn't really get on with in the first place and wanted to replace her. And you could have been doing this with her. I think Danielle Hannebaker thrives in this role. And yet, huh, I'm going to meditate, is all we've been getting from her for the last nine episodes. Why didn't we get more of this? She's a powerful queen. She destroyed the negative speed force avatar in seconds. And we're only going to get two episodes of that when you could have had nine, ten episodes of that instead. Like, my issue, I said about the team flash they're making out that cecile's the most powerful meta human in all of central city and because she can levitate a coffee mm -hmm. mug towards her first of all we haven't seen any more of that why did they mm -hmm. drop that we're making out that cecile is the big leader of team flash 
The Flash will always be the leader of Team Flash. But here we have Keon, who actually is probably the most powerful creature that the show has ever given us. And we spent nine episodes doing nothing with her. And we're only going to get her for two more episodes before she's like, peace, I'm off to save the rest of the world. Probably so they can bring Caitlin back. I hope so they can bring Caitlin back because that death was hideous. What? So I think Keon's the perfect example of the season. So much potential and yet none of it realized. I don't get why she's a goddess. But like I just she pops out the machine and we are a goddess. Like no <laughs> science. Like I, I at least with this show I've appreciated that even if the science makes no darn sense, that they at least attempt. But for her, she's like, mm, I'm gonna introduce plant cells into your bloodstream and I'm gonna make you like all green, but it's okay to wear off. Like, I'm so happy to have helped you. I'm like, <laughs> okay, sure. Uh, I mean, it does make, uh, that not make sense. It does have like great effects uh, when she saves Mark, who is apparently her bestie for reasons. That uh, special effects was really cool and horrifying to see him break to, down into soil and then her to just build him back up in the same soil. Again, the science isn't sciencing because she said that, you know, we come from dust and as a like, stardust, not <laughs> soil. She's like, <laughs> but uh, okay, <laughs> sure. Like, where does his soul go? Where does his heart go? Where does all the things that make his body work go? I mean, like, if you've someone that powerful on your, I can see why they're ending the show now because if you've someone that powerful on your team, ain't no crime happening in Central City, besties. No. Flash can retire. Just Keon can just like meditate and sit, make the world the best place ever, and that that'd be it. And Batwoman can retire. Supergirl can retire. The Arrowverse doesn't need any new heroes of Keon's. Or maybe that's why they wasted nine episodes having her figure herself out. But I just feel like this character is gone from um supporting z-list character to scarlet witch level power overnight and we needed more than that and i do i love everything about what she can do i say daniel panabaker plays the role really really well but like it's not that they didn't have the time to tell a coherent story i just said superman and lois is telling a coherent story in 13 episodes it's not that they didn't have the time but i would have much rather a 13 episode season might be shorter than a 22 episode season so yeah you've less time in that sense but they could have given her the time she was warranted rather than having us six seven episodes of chester and allegra will they won't they will they won't they will they won't they and cecile being all happy about her husband leaving her and moving to another city so that she can go off and be a superhero the drama and drama and there were much much better storylines they could have told Keon doesn't need to be front and center of the Flash's final season, but she could have been an original supporting character in the way that uh, Caitlin was or Cisco was, and we could have gotten some decent stories there. Everyone is starting to be supporting characters in the way that Chester, Allegra, and Cecile are, in that if you're not the A team, you're the B team, and that's it. There's no layers to the Flash's storytelling anymore. And I've, this, this episode, it did not create the biggest sins as far as that went, but it did fall victim to some of the old tropes again. And... Uh, where do you go from there? The show has learned nothing. We thought maybe after two solid episodes, it learned something. Right back to square one, and we're running out of time for it to write the course again. Yeah, it's really weird because it is was with it being a talking episode and a like chicken chicken run around with its head cut off episode with no direction. Like Allegra was benched. Chester said some science mumbo jumbo and then let a possessed Mark fix set the thing because he didn't know he was possessed, and that was sort of the end of him. Iris worried the entire episode 
and we got some callbacks to the crisis but that was kind of the end all and be all of her loved her shoes mm-hmm. oh and she went into she went into labor for like half a second i was like i know you're not bringing these this child into the world and barry's not here we i will fight you online <laughs> like, <it> just, <laughs> i was like getting so scared i was like i know she's not about to give birth and he's trapped in another timeline i refuse but um well he's gone again though isn't he she's in the middle of labor and he has popped away for reasons unknown and now eddie is is coming back because he's found himself uh but just to move into the eddie plot not that well done but more interesting than what was going on i thought that he was in a different timeline but it appears he is actually in barry and iris's timeline he's just been working at mercury labs Uh, that confused me I, I missed a small portion of this episode, so I'm not sure. Is he in the future or is he in the present? I'm so confused because why is that officer who wore, Alpha, wore the uniform now suddenly in the captain's office? Where is Kramer? Did I miss all of that? Okay, that's what I was confused about. I was like, did I miss a little piece of text where it said what year it was? Because I was like, I thought he wasn't even in Barry and Iris's timeline, but apparently he's somewhere because the... Um, homegirl who was green at the beginning of the episode suddenly was not green anymore when he was breaking into uh, Iris's magazine, well, newspaper. Mm-hmm. So, so thank you for that because I didn't know what was going on. So apparently we must be in the future. I'm pretty sure I saw like a billboard or something when he was walking down the street. By the way, I love the Blade Runner effect of the city or whatever. It was like blue, it was neon. It was like all those close-ups on all the people looking at him. And on that note, Kayla Compton, who plays Allegra, did a beautiful job directing this episode. It was very visual. It was very, very, um, what's that word? Um, Engaging. It definitely brought you into the world. It made you feel things. And I know the script kind of let it down, but from a visual standpoint, it was an excellent episode. And I feel like it really thrived from the Eddie standpoint in that sense, because I'm pretty sure one of the neon screens in the background where he was walking down that smoky alleyway said 2049 on it. I'm like, if we're in 2049, that cop and that CCC media employee aged remarkably well. You're telling me they look (laughs) exactly the same in nearly 30 years from the future. Okay. I'll let it slide. Um, this is the same 2049 that has Iris with her with the gray streaks in her hair and Nora and Bart as adults, but those two age looking exactly the same. Well, sure. But if we can get over that, I assume he's in 2049, which is why this officer is now the captain. Um, and I think they did it, I think they made the, the the office slightly different looking because isn't Kramer's desk at the back, whereas her desk was on the side of the room. So they definitely did something to try and make it look different um it worked it wasn't the most effective but it did what it set out to do i think i'm right as far as where eddie is exists in the timeline i don't know what we're doing here but yeah i feel like it did what it was supposed to do it was definitely the most interesting part of the episode and yeah we're doing we're doing exactly what we thought so his name's malcolm gilmore is, is that what it said on his eye day mm-hmm. um so that's interesting. I don't know what how he's going to have come back, but we did. I do. I love the fact that they brought back the season one finale story. Eddie was sucked into that wormhole, and we haven't seen him since, which is why they obviously had to bury an empty casket. So it all makes sense. It does all feel like it's coming full circle. I do think we needed more than four episodes to tell the story, though, because Eddie was such an important character in the first season. Yes, the show's moved on from him, but you can't watch that first season without thinking, 
bless Eddie I miss him or he had his purpose and they did a great job when they brought him back in season two and when that time when Barry went back in time and got him to fill in the message for Iris you got all teary-eyed and all because he they did such a good job with that character for being the arrogant good-looking cop he had such a heart of gold he deserved better than what happened to him so I feel like he needed more than just these four episodes especially if we're going full full throttle villain now and he's just going to be bad bad guy hopefully they'll find a way to redeem him but if they find a way to redeem him does that mean he has to die again there's there's i just i fear that they don't have enough time to tell the story with the nuance that it needs especially as we've been building here for nine seasons but i'm happy to see them finally doing it because i feel like as far as the flash bucket list goes this was one of the last storylines they never really got to take off so i'm glad we're going there now I'm opposite of you. <laughs> why? <laughs> Tell I me think, why. Uh, I think it's but putting my feelings about Eddie aside, which he's a fine character. I just wanted to get to West Allen faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just yeah. felt like they didn't need to, to do that in season one. Uh, I, I so not another. So it's another one of those storylines where I feel like we waited too long. Like it should yeah, have I'm been a, a storyline that should have happened earlier in the series. Uh, I just if he's been living his life. For this long, I I kind of want to him to just have his feelings for the current day, right? Instead of it feels like a regression to go back to where Eddie was at that time period. The Eddie who um dies in season one, him falling off the ledge of sanity, finding out that like Iris moved on, and not only did she move on, she moved on with Barry, makes sense. But this Eddie has been living his life for I don't know how many decades unaware of what happened previously unless they're going to give us some seated conversation about how he always felt like something was missing how he felt like he couldn't find love and he didn't know why then then I would sort of understand it but now it just seems like this man became so obsessed with figuring out who Eddie was that then he somehow takes on Eddie's persona which is like Malcolm how loose were we from sanity that it only took a few hours for you to decide to walk into a random man's life and and be angry about what happened to him when you don't necessarily have to have been him. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we'll see. Like you said, we needed nuance. I really, watching this and watching him dig up the grave, I was like, why wasn't this the the series ending plot? Like it made more sense for this to be the 13 episode plot than having it be the last four episodes. Because it's big enough to do a whole season on. It is. And I feel like I agree with you. I think maybe they waited too long, but that, uh, I think that could go back to the whole, did the flash stay on air for too long conversation? Mm-hmm. Because it makes sense to finally bring this back as the final season storyline. I think it's a beautiful idea on the final season, but we've brought Eddie back multiple times for different reasons. The first couple of times in the alternate timelines and the speed force and the vision and the whatever, they all worked like a treat. But then the show went through this big long period where there was no Eddie stuff in the middle of the series as we headed towards the crisis and Eric Wallace story. And then last season, we brought him back as that evil manifestation of what was it? The forces or something, the trapped iris in the apartment or something. Um, I think. Something like that. And I'm like, okay, we did evil Eddie already. And now I have to do him again because we're doing the final season. And it's also related to the negative forces. It feels like maybe they went to the well one too many times with that. So it's it, it doesn't resonate me when, with me. It doesn't resonate with me in the way that it would have if they'd done it in like season four or five or six and the show ended in season four or five or six. If you know what I mean. 
if we hadn't seen Eddie at all since the season one finale, now I would be losing my mind. But it does feel a little bit like been there, done that, we're only doing this because the show's ending kind of vibe, if you know what I mean. Whereas maybe if the show had ended around season six or seven, we'd be like, oh, wow, they're doing that. And if it wasn't truncated into four episodes, it might feel a little bit better. It just feels like I love the Red Death stuff. I didn't love what they did with it, but I love the Red Death stuff. I just feel like I'm not sure that was good enough to warrant the final storyline the show ever tackles being only four episodes and don't even get me started on the interlude episodes because what was the point in those Oliver aside what was the point in those the season's been very very messy but you've seen a lot of potential in the middle of it so Mm -hmm. yeah I'm conflicted to the best way to put it I think yeah well because it is an intriguing Mm storyline uh I think even part of me wishes he wasn't living a different life if this was literally just Eddie who came back to like because he has this line in the promo about feeling like they forgot about him. And it's like, well, people don't forget about you, but they do move on. I, the Eddie from season one finding out that he is not the love of, of Iris's life, I could see him being corrupted by superpowers and turning evil over it. If Barry can lose his mind, thanks to, that was season one, right? Um, thanks to whatever had gotten, he got whammied with, where he was so jealous that he nearly yeah. killed Eddie, then yeah. we can have an Eddie who who uh, gets transformed by the negative speed forces energy, where that negative piece that he was holding on to about not feeling good enough just explodes. And we get a very dangerous man on our hands. Like that is endlessly interesting. What, loving it. Why the last thing? <laughs> like it just, it just, it really could be a good plot, especially if we're talking about love and the way that love can turn toxic, especially when you care for someone deeply and that other person is not your soulmate. Like Iris and Barry are soulmates, and Eddie in season one would not have been able to handle that. Mm-hmm. And I, but I also think that goes back to the way of how strong the Flash's character just development used to be i know we so many people were indifferent to eddie because he was essentially just the obstacle in the west allen story but as a character he was so well storylined that it's totally believable that this would happen in that like i care about him even if it's been nine years i care about him i would rather watch an eddie centric episode of him finding out that his life was taken by barry rather than a chester and allegra centric episode the show the show has not done a good job with its current characters in the way that the original show did so even now we have a different creative team bringing eddie thon back i'm just like eddie welcome back whereas if maybe if chester and allegra showed up in the first season they would be much easier to like characters like, give me Cisco over Chester and Allegra any day of the week. Give me Eddie over them any day of the week. Give me season one recurring Cecile over the Cecile we have now any day of the week. I just feel like this show forgot how to build characters and the fact that we care so much, and even if we don't care that much, but the fact that we care so much about a returning season one character over half of the characters we have now does say a little bit about the state of the current show at the moment. But it does, because it's the only plot we care about right now, because it, it's the best one that they have going. Eddie slipping into madness is going to be very intriguing. And it was it was comically villainous. 
Like I really enjoyed the the spiral into just mess. That was a very sweaty man by the time we got awesome. to the end. <laughs> got to the end, and then you know when the officers, I don't know what that was she was holding against him. I was like, is it a taser? Is it a new form of energy gun? Like what are we doing? But like that, when that's another thing that made me think it was the future. I think it was <laughs> supposed to be futuristic guns. <laughs> I guess so. But like when the red lightning flashes behind him, I was like, okay, Frankenstein. Like it was just, it was just like a really nice touch um, of it being like over the top and campy, but still working. Oh yeah. That was like such a theatrical undertaker moment. Rise from the grave and the lightning strikes. Very, very effective. I love comic book shows when they lean into the silly comic book campy nature. And this is exactly what they did. The Flash has been a different seventies kind of TV show, kind of cheesy over the last three years and it hasn't really worked for it. But yet when it leans into the campier uh, comic book and because you've got all that levels of mythology and years of stories to tell, that's when it's at its best. Season one was lighthearted without ever, and cheesy without ever being corny. And that's something The Flash has forgotten. When you can do little moments like that, like the lightning strike, that feels like The Flash of old, even if it is so over the top, it hit you over the head with it. But I still feel like that's The Flash I love. That's The Flash I know at mess. And that's The Flash I hope we get to see in the final two, two episodes. My goodness. Because there were, no pun intended, flashes of brilliance in this episode. It just was unfortunately chose the wrong uh, plot, in my opinion. Um, mm. It was, again, I don't want to, this was not the worst episode of the season. It just came at the absolute worst time because you thought the show had finally figured itself out again. And now here we are back to square one. It was fine for what it was. But yeah, the Eddie stuff was far more interesting. And I'm glad that that's where we're going with the final two episodes. The negative speed force is not, uh, is, it's a force to be reckoned with. It's but it's not the best villain they've ever had, but I mean, at least it makes, it brings this whole storyline full circle. I feel like we're going to see a few evil speedsters show up now, just as the, uh, in the show's greatest hits to her, which in my opinion <laughs> should have lasted far longer than the final two episodes. Uh, yeah, the negative speed force though. I was like, oh, not again. <laughs> no. Who are you? <laughs> That's, we did not build them. So he's like, I'm going to kill Barry and your little one too. And I was like, Okay, <laughs> like, I don't, like we're, you're, you're not new to us, but I want you to retire, hang it up. Right. <laughs> but I just, uh, speaking of things about going like nostalgic things, I wish we'd spent more time on Iris's fear of being left uh, because of unforeseen circumstances concerning Barry. I really loved her moment of, of leaving him a message because she didn't know whether or not he'd be well, she'd survive. And then looking at the newspaper for crisis as a girl, I'll be back here though. It's hurtful. Like, but it makes sense because she has always lived with the fear that one day he will just disappear and she won't be able to find him. So I did like her scene with Cecile. And I was like, why wasn't this Iris's plot? She was for the whole season. She's entering a new, you would think that with her being pregnant with Nora, her mind wouldn't be able to let that go. Like, yes, he lived past crisis, but what if something else happens? And I'm left alone to raise this baby by myself. And like, he keeps trying to give me these future things, but what if the future thing doesn't happen? Like, Barry, slow down for a second. We need to talk. I'm, I have trauma. <laughs> like, I would just really love that they had done that. Yeah, I agree. And it was not, I struggle with what they're doing with Iris this season. And then a lot of her storylines feel like, but didn't we already deal with that already? Like that, odd who done a time loop episode oh, thing yeah. in the middle of the season that was the most bizarre episode but like 
this was a drama or a, a conflict that felt totally authentic for the character. We've seen them mm-hmm. do it before, but very, very well. So yeah, even though it did feel like, can we not figure out where Iris is going this season? Her husband had been kidnapped by a mysterious blue force. It would totally make sense that we'd be back here. And I did. I love the fact that we got to see the old crisis draft as well. Even if it's a different photo from the first season, I think the crisis itself updated that. And we've got that like heavily, heavily photo shoot photo of Barry like that there that I think was the season six. <laughs> thing. Did you just get your husband to pose for that photograph and stick it in the paper? Um, but like it, that, that this is this is the stuff that a final season should be full of. Um, I just watched the series finale of Titans, which is a show that didn't know it was going to end. And somehow their final episode felt like a beautifully nostalgic trip through memory lane that tied up all of the show's main storylines. The Flash should have spent its 13 episodes doing that rather than giving us typical run of the mill stories um, that are not pulling on your heartstrings, that are the most basic character tropes like Chester and Allegra falling in love and then kissing in front of everyone and then and then like but did we really want to do that no i don't know i love you but he didn't say it back they're the most basic character tropes we can do just to reach get them to a certain point in that all the other characters have suffered as a result and we've seen an iris's storylines have just felt a bit run of the mill this season this felt like good drama and this felt like some of the storylines we should have been seeing throughout the season and Cecile can be used beautifully when they do it right. And this was an example of them using Cecile right. It, it, like she's, she's Iris's stepmother and we basically have never seen the two share a scene together ever. Why have we not seen more of that? Especially when it produces results like this. Candace acted at all, the, all those conversations in this episode incredibly and i just wish we got to spend more time with the people not their character trope storylines that we've done all season there's just so much more i feel like we're going to end the season thinking that we didn't do everything we could have and considering the show knew it had 13 episodes to end with that should not have been the case no i'm hoping that we end whelmed Mm -hmm. like i please just end whelmed don't don't need to be overwhelmed at this point because it's not coming but yeah. whelmed like well i feel like i might be overwhelmed by the series finale but it'll have nothing to do with what they give us most likely and everything to do with saying goodbye to the show mm-hmm. definitely if they bring back all the like that rumor if they bring back all the evil speedsters from the show's run i'm gonna be like oh remember savitar hey zoom and all of that that'll be fun that's the stuff i want to see from a final season and i think it'll for a little while it'll add some rose tinted glasses onto the show and thinking yeah that ended well but when i have to think about ranking the seasons or whatever it's going to be very hard for me to get season nine out of last place and it's yeah. not the worst season season four and season seven are arguably worse but it's by far the most disappointing season because they knew what they were supposed to do going in there and they haven't done it and i'm like how could you drop the ball so severely when you knew, knew these recurring issues over the last three seasons you're like eh, let's do them again anyway I feel like the se- the final season deserved better than that. The show deserved better than that. And I don't want to focus on the negatives because I do think we potentially have two incredible episodes left ahead. But it just feels like we kind of find our way back to the darkness after two episodes of beautiful, beautiful light. And I just hope that light encapsulates the final two episodes of the show. Manifesting that. Manifesting yeah. that for us both and the rest of the Flash fandom because there's nothing they can fix now. It's in the can. And they're, they're it's gonna like it's gonna air regardless. So we'll hopefully love something about it and be able to have a glowing review for Reed for the penultimate and the finale and for us. 
yeah we want Reed to come back to nothing but positive vibes <laughs> I know but speaking of manifesting jumping away from the flash manifesting Nancy Drew's season four trailer she's mm-hmm. still not here yet and we need it they're making us wait. They're making us wait. We finished her Nancy journey. I had no idea what to do with my life with not having her two episodes a week to watch. Um, and I feel like a trailer, would, it's, it feels like the right time. The universe should be working in our favor and that we just finished as the season four trailer came out. So it's about to have time, CW. Get on with that, please. I know. I'm hoping by the next time we record that we'll have it and we'll be able to like give our opinions and like our our wish list for the final season you know with some context like that would be really great definitely we still don't know we there's so much about the season we don't know yet we know very little about it and i think the main reason for that is because we don't have a trailer um, i'm pretty sure that the flash's final season trailer and first one not come out in december even though the show didn't start till february so you're a little behind schedule there cw um so I would, we knew, we knew, we know so much about what to expect or shows going into it. I know we just caught up on Nancy, but season four still feels like such a mystery to us, mm-hmm. a, a mystery that Nancy's going to have to solve. But like CW could like, we let that trailer now because we're running out of time here. The, the show, the final season starts very, very soon from now. Um, Yeah, I miss Nancy already. We need more Nancy in her life. And I think a trailer would tie us over until the show starts. No, oh, I know. Okay, so then we need to take that note to the mole. Mo, if you're listening, take this note straight back to Brad's desk, please. Yes, we haven't called upon you in so long. Get it done. (laughs) Okay, but that is it for this week's pod. We are the CW Spiral. I'm Sabrina. And I'm Michael. Bye, y'all.